right. Without further ado, if, well, I guess if you're your first timer here tonight, uh, we are glad to have this week, uh, Sunday, and the next two nights with us, Tom Harmon. Tom's a speaker all around country and uh, does this a lot. He's going to be doing it a little, little bit less in a, in a little while, but uh, we're thankful for his ministry over the past couple uh, sessions already. We're in the book of Daniel again, so if you want to get out your Bibles and get a head start, uh, Daniel, and uh, we're looking forward to what God has for us tonight. Tom, come on up. Thank you, Mark. Um, that song, I heard that the first time 10 years ago at a Bible conference, and that was their theme song, and I'd never heard it before. Being an itinerant in different places, I hear different kinds of music, and I just really, that song struck a chord in my heart. I said, oh, that's so good. And then I usually will say, I wonder the person that penned that, what inspired him? I'll think about music, because uh, I have zero music, okay? I, I don't know an A from a B. I can't sing, can't play the harmonic. I tried for years. I can't play nothing. But I like good music. Anybody want to say amen to that? You don't have music, but I like good music. And that was a good song. So I wonder what inspired that guy. And it says... Um, Change our, we come with open hearts, so God change me by your word. Is that biblical? Yes, it is. And be not conformed to this world. Anybody know the rest of that? But be ye by the renewing of your minds. What is that good and accept from the perfect will of God? How do you know apart from the word of God, we have no clue of the will of God? Would you agree with that? How do you know his will? By knowing his word. And how do you know this ain't going to change, so we're going to have to say amen. Okay, that's what that song was about. I just love that. It was a very appropriate song at every service. That's just a good one. And then come thou fount. How many of you get convicted by verse 3 every time? Prone to wander. Okay. Lord, I feel prone to leave the God I love. Isn't that the, isn't that the catch one we're in? God, I love you. And then why do I act like I don't sometimes? And it troubles me in my journey of faith. But we have a God that says a righteous man falls seven times. And though a, see a good man, steps a good man appointed by the Lord. He'd life in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. How are you glad you always got a hand up with Jesus? Would you agree with that? Peter's sinking, and it says, Lord, save me. And it says he took him by the hand. How do you think Peter grabbed a hold of Jesus' hands with both of his? Anybody want to say that? I'm going down. I need your hand right now. How have you ever been there? Okay, I need the hand of the Lord to hold me up. So anyway, good, good stuff. I, music, God knew we needed it. Would you agree? God wouldn't fall out of heaven if we never sang again. But we need this, okay? We need this. And so that's just good stuff. Thank you, Mark, so much. Uh, our memory verse, who looked at it today? Good, good. Marcia, say it for us. You already did it to me last. Can you do it right? Yeah, just say it. God bless you. Good job. Anybody else want to try it? Pastor Mark would give you $100 if you can do it. <laughs> Poor Mark is going, get away from me. What are you doing? Okay. Uh, that's a good verse. Okay, let's just look at it again. See then. By the way, when you see a see then, it's almost like therefore. In other words, I've been. he said something before this that this is attached to. Okay, if this is true, then this is how you ought to respond. He's just said things like, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, that that which is good to the use of edifying, they might minister grace to the 
that him that stole steal no more. Now, you know he's talking to Christians. How have you knew that? that? This is a book talking to us. Well, a Christian couldn't steal. Oh, give me a break. Come on. How do you know we rob the Lord regularly? Come on. <laughs> We're guilty of these things. So he's, he's going down to this grocery list. said, let your speech be always grace. See so you might know how to answer that. And he's just giving these things. Uh, let not the sun go down. And don't give place to the devil. And, and you get up on chapter 5 and he says, put away these things. And it's to put off the old man and put on the new. It's, the, it's to the Christian about the Christian life. So he says, see then that you walk. And that's a metaphor of how you live your life day in and day out. It's not just the physical walking, but walking with God is to continue to move slowly one step at a time. We looked at that Sunday morning. And you walk, and it says circumspectly. Now, that Greek word is akrobos. We get the English word ad- acrobat from this Greek word akrobos. And do you know what an acrobat is? I'm going to give you the definition of it now. Uh, it means this, to walk. Now, see that you walk like an acrobat, acrobos. It means with precision and caution and care and detail and accuracy and attention. How do you know when you're 30 foot up with no net, you're not going, da, 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 da. would you agree on a, on a tight wire? You're kind of making sure you've got your act together because one bad step and you know what could happen. How do you know what I'm saying now? So when he says, see the, that you... Enter in at the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go that way. But narrow is the gate and hard is the way. I used to arrest a lot of guys when they couldn't walk the line. Are you following this? This is kind of important. Oh, yeah, I can walk, and they'd lean up against something, they'd be all right. <laughs> well, let go of that way. How do you know we're not supposed to walk like a drunk through this world? Come on, say amen to that now. We're supposed to be attention to detail. In other words, if you, if you claim Christ as your Savior, it's going to affect the way you walk. People that say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and he's made no difference in my life. I say, you got the wrong Jesus. Because he's going to make a difference in the way you walk. And that's what this verse is. Paul is saying this to the church at Ephesus. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. Could a Christian walk like a fool? Yeah, you can. I've been the fool more than once. Why do you always let me take that all alone? Why, why don't you somebody just say, yeah, me too, okay, or something to give you a little peace in this. See, then you walk, sir, not as fools, but as wise, as wise, redeeming the time. Daniel did not choose his moment in time, but he chose to redeem it. You and I did not choose our moment in time. We, don't, we didn't choose to be born, I didn't choose to be a boomer, okay? And if you're born in these from 2000, what is it, late 90s, you didn't choose to be a millennial, but you are one. Okay, if you've been, we have grandchildren, we're all millennials. Simple as that. And you can back up to all that. And we've learned to tag them, okay? The generations. You didn't choose that. But you can choose to redeem the time you're born in. I'm here. And it's not my accident. You see, if you're not here on purpose, then there is no purpose. How many of you got that? In other words, if you want to say you're just a series of accidents over billions of years, and why breathe up the air, eat up the food, drink up the water, and take up the space? Why? What's the purpose? You've got to know, I am not an accident. God, us, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he who hath made us, and not we ourselves. Say amen to that. And when he makes people, he makes them with a purpose. And he says, you, you can do this, or you can do this. You can deny me if you want to. It won't change me. I will still be around. Say amen to this. Okay, he's still God. Or you can choose to acknowledge that there's a sovereign God that made you for a purpose and it was to glorify him in your brief moment of time because 
the older you get, the more you're going to realize life is very short and death is very certain. It's just a breath. It's just so quick. And you've got that moment, that, that time. If somebody came to you and said, I'm going to give you $86,400 every day, and you can spend it however you want to, but if you spend it, you get to keep it. But if you don't spend it, you lose it. How do you think you might have a few good days of 86400 bucks you could spend? Anybody? Want to, I got a few things I could cover with that, okay? But how do you know months down the road, you might find it hard to find something to spend that on? Well, he said, you don't spend it, you lose it. Do you know every day of your life you get 86400 seconds to spend? It's called time. It's the great equalizer. How do you know that kings only get a 24-hour day and so do peasants? How you spend it, God says, what do you do with your time? And Daniel chose, he didn't choose his time, but he chose to redeem the time in which, and his world seemed to fall apart, okay? I, I can't do a lot of review tonight because unlike most of my messages, this could be long. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed, okay? When I review, my wife goes, oh, Tom, you're going to preach another whole sermon in the review. Just get to the sermon, okay? So I'm just going to try to get to it. I want to quote this text tonight and then for me i need to memorize scripture because then i can meditate on it and ponder on it and then so for me that's that's a, a, a good tool for me in studying the scriptures so i want to quote you can follow along whatever translation you have it'll be close i have the real bible never mind <laughs> I, I have the king james okay i cut my teeth on it. it's hard to change all my kids none of my kids i think have that now but anyway um Daniel, let me see, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and part of the vessel of the house of God, which carried the land of Shinar, unto the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God, Shinar, Babel, temple. Let me see, I can't preach. I gotta, and the king spoke at Ashmanaz, the master of his eunuchs, saying, no, the master of his eunuchs, that he would bring certain of the king's seed and of the princes, youths in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored, and such as had ability, excuse me, and skilled in all wisdom and gifted in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. And they knew protocol. He wanted the king, he didn't want to have to bunch, take a bunch of people that were unaware of how you behave yourself. They understood palace behavior. They had ability in them. They had been trained. It just saves me a lot of, of work, he says. So I want the, the king's seed, princes, youths in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and uh, skillful in all wisdom and gifted in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. I think that's what it says. Yes. And whom they might teach the learning, that's very significant, whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chal Chaldeans. I was playing with that CH on there with Chaldeans. It's not, it's not Chaldeans. It's, it is Chaldeans. It's not Chaldeans. Never mind. Aren't you glad you came for this tonight? Okay, I got it. And the king appointed to them a daily provision of the king's food, king's meat, king's food, and the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end of them they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah. Now remember over here, children of Israel, so he's conquered everything. But now he specifically says, now among these are the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. This is not the 
the master, this is somebody that works under the master of the, he's just a prince of the universe, okay. He gave names, and Daniel, for unto Daniel he gave the name Belteshazzar, same as Belshazzar, it's exactly the same. And under Hananiah, Shadrach, and under Mishael, Meshach, and under Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's food, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God brought Daniel into favor and compassion with the prince of the eunuchs. Let me pray and we'll try to unpack that. Heavenly Father, this is a closed book without your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit is dwelling in many, probably most, maybe all, hopefully all, that are here tonight, who would come out on a Monday night to a Bible conference and have some heart for the Word of God. I don't think. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the, you authored it. You certainly can interpret it to us, reveal to us truths we need to hear tonight. Make this applicable, not just theological, not something we can place within our theological library, but something that will, oh God, speak to our hearts from the life of Daniel. We are looking at the making of a man. God, we are all in process. Nobody's arrived. Not as though I had already attained, Paul said, or either already were perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that of which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. That's where we want to be. We want to apprehend some measure of truth that is going to transform us into the image of our dear Savior. So help us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In my prayer, I said the making of a man. That would probably be the title of tonight. When I say man, we're talking anthropos. How you know a woman can't say, Whew, he's speaking to men tonight. Would you agree with that? <laughs> We're talking anthropos, which is male and female. Male and female made he them, okay? It's to humanity. It's to all of us. What goes into the making of us? I think I said yesterday, all of us are a composite of a number of different circumstances, of a number of different people that have contributed something into our lives. Some of it's been good. Some of it's not been so good. Would you agree with that? How have you had some contributions you'd just assume not had? Would any girl? I just assume not had that contribution. Too bad. It's part and parcel of what makes us who we are and what makes you unique. Because nobody in this room has had exactly the same experiences. They might have been close, but they're not exact. Nobody has exact fingerprints, eye maps, DNA, genetic. We're not exact. We're similar. But God is in the making, the process of making us into the people He wants us to be. He really is. Well, um, verses 3 and 4. Um, the king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, uh, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel. Eunuchs. Was Daniel a eunuch? Uh, I don't know. I have an opinion that is no big deal. I do know this, that in those days when kings were going to have people that were potentially king's seed instead of the king's seed, they're going to be around. One way to end a kingdom is to cut off the seed of the kingdoms, okay? No, no more procreation of them. Because into those days, they were really into uh, divine lines, the pharaohs. They were so, you know, borderline divine. You're going to see that old Nebuchadnezzar thinks the same thing. He's going to build an image and say, bow down and worship me, I'm divine. <laughs> you know, so his seed is supposed to, and the descendants were all supposed to be of that. He may well have been. 
okay, because that was a practice they did under it, but we don't know for sure, so you don't make a big case on it. At least I don't think there's room to drum roll this, okay? It, it, he could have been. But we know that there's a guy who is overseeing all of these guys. They're going to be around his palace area, that if that's not going to be an issue, it makes things a lot simpler, a lot easier to manage, okay? So I, I don't know. Uh, I think he was, but that's... That's okay. He never married, never had any children. I do know that. Scripture doesn't teach that anywhere. So probably a good Isaiah did, you know, other prophets did, but no, not Daniel the prophet. Okay. A youth in whom was no blemish, well favored, skillful in wisdom, and in other words, they were literate. They were capable of being taught as well, and they knew palace life. They knew there's a you you behave this way in the palace, and you don't be this you you don't behave this way. They knew that. They already learned that. It says um, they had understanding. They were teachable. Um, and whom they might teach the learning. Now that word learning, I want to stop on for just a minute. The learning is curriculum. There was a curriculum that the Babylonians had developed and designed that characterized the learning of Babylonians. But they have conquered the world and they've got Syrians, they've got Egyptians, and they've got Hebrews. How do you know the Hebrews had their own curriculum? How do you know that? It's called that book there, that Old Testament stuff. They had their own curriculum. It affected everything from diet to religion, morals, ethics. I mean, all kinds of things. But how do you know that this Babylonian curriculum is totally different than the Hebrew curriculum? The Babylonian and the word curriculum was, let me see, they're not going to just teach them. They're going to teach them language. They're going to teach them Arabic. Okay, in fact, we're going to find over here that Daniel, from chapter 2, verse about 4 to 728, he wrote his prophecy in Aramaic. He actually, not in Hebrew. He wrote, when he's addressing the Hebrew, when he's addressing the Gentile nations, he's writing in Aramaic that he learned from the Babylonians because they're the ones, that's the, that's the trade language of the world at that time. So in the old original text, that's what it was written in. But he was, um, he was taught that. But this kind of curriculum is not just teaching scholastics. It's just not reading, writing, arithmetic. It's, they're going to indoctrinate them. Now, I'll tell you something. Education in my lifetime has left reading, writing, arithmetic, and it is trying to indoctrinate a moral, ethical code that was contrary to the one of my forefathers. How do you know that that's happened? Whether we want to admit or not, it has happened. That we have been taught from the cradle now, there is no God in public education. The masses of our culture is teaching that. Why? It's no longer trying to teach or read and write and arithmetic. We have kids, grandchildren in schools, they don't teach cursive anymore. They think, oh, come on. What are they going to do? Everything I wrote in their Bibles is in cursive. I'll have to get an interpreter. I don't know how they're going to do this. All the notes and the personal things. I've read, they're just things changing. What is the objective? Assimilate. We want these Hebrews to forsake all of their teaching and assimilate them into our teaching, our curriculum, our culture, which is totally different than the culture they were educated in. How are you following this? It's an indoctrination. We're going to teach you. We're going to make you a totally different person, and you will assimilate into our culture. And if you don't, we will annihilate you. 
assimilation or annihilation. And they are going to pour a lot of energy and a lot of effort into this. Um, they're going to teach them a new moral code, a new religious code. How do you know the religion of the Babylonians? They have a, we have one God for the Hebrews. They have a God for everything you can imagine. Fertility, God, sun, God, you name her. You, you need a God? You, you got an issue? We got a God for it. That's the Babylon. How do you can see the differences in the two? And they're saying, you're going to change. And God says, I don't change. Do any of you see the potential for conflict? How do you know if you're going to follow Jesus in this culture, you can prepare for conflict? Say amen to that. It's not a, not a cakewalk and I'll, everybody just get along. Coexist. Oh, no. <laughs> Coexist with everybody but God. Say amen to that. Okay. Let's grab all the religions of the world, pour them all together. We got one big happy family. Get real. There's always God that says, I ain't getting in that vat. You're not pouring me in that one. This is the one true God. You got conflict. There's going to be potential for conflict. Daniel's about to face a, a moment of conflict. What else did they do? Okay, their food. It says, verse 5, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's food, or of the king's meat, and the wine. How even though the Jews had dietary rules? Did you know this? Are you sure you did? You knew that. And the, <laughs> the Babylonians, it was a little different. By the way, how many of you are glad that you can have bacon and still go to heaven? Anybody want to say amen to that? Okay. New Testament is Amen. But I got news, it's a big deal back then. Now, would you agree with that? That's the big deal. In fact, it is the, it's the issue here that Daniel's going to drum roll in just a minute. Their food. You may not think food's significant in a culture. <laughs> it is. Joyce and I were going to Africa one time, and we had to go through Zurich, Switzerland, yeah. And uh, our, our flight was delayed, so we, they gave us a room. In big international airports, they give you this little cube. It basically has a bed and a small bathroom in it, and they give you a t-shirt and a toothbrush or something else. And we said, oh, okay, that's okay. But we were kind of having a ball because nobody knew where we were at, you know. <laughs> Never mind, I ain't going to tell you. But we just, and we were both hungry. We've been hungry our whole life. Somebody said, <laughs> so I said, let's go get something to eat. So we start walking down in this big circular airport, and we're looking into places, and we can't read the stuff. We don't know what the menu is, and we're, nah, I don't like that smell. Okay, we're going. <laughs> You may not think about how you know America has, when you go to certain parts of America, you get out of the car, you just smell America. It's grease. Would you agree with that? And all of a sudden, your old juices start kicking. <laughs> so we're getting hungry, but this is, where's our American food? You're in America. <laughs> and we're getting a little discouraged. If <laughs> we looked down, we saw a Burger King sign and said, Hallelujah! <laughs> America, right here in Switzerland. <laughs> is this okay? Can you handle this? Is that all right? How do you know I'm making light of something you and I, if we want to embrace, it's true of us. We like our food. Say amen to that. American, you can eat Chinese food, but it's American Chinese food. And you can eat Mexican, I'm so glad. But it's American Mexican food, okay? Taco Bell in heaven, hallelujah. Okay, or maybe you don't like that. Okay. But anyway, by the way, we had went a year or so with no fast foods. Joyce and I said, because we don't do good with moderation. I just... I either abst abstinence is easier, like I haven't eaten a donut this year, not one donut, and I'm saying I'm going all year. Because if I moderate them, I lose. I, one opens, one was, went down so well, two will go down as, you know what I'm talking about. So I just don't open that door, and we hadn't eaten any fat. But when we saw that Burger King sign, man, we went down there, and the grease was running out the corners of our mouth. We were just happy. Okay, now let's move on to another one. Since I've... And in the mountains with the children of... 
Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were the Hebrew names. By the way, the name Daniel meant uh, God is my judge. What a name to tag a kid with. Every, every time he went to do something, God is my judge. Oh, I don't think I'll do that, okay? <laughs> Never mind, you're not enjoying that either. How many of you wish you could just give your kid a biblical name and that took care of all the issues? Anybody else? <laughs> we named our kids with biblical names that didn't take care of the issues. Oh, boy. But another way, these are Hebrew names. We have a lot of grandchildren. They got Hebrew names, okay? Um, Joshua, that's a good Hebrew name, okay? Benjamin. Uh, we got these biblical names on our grandchildren and stuff. Well, these guys have biblical names and they're Hebrew names, but now we're going to change their names. They change old uh, Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. You know what that means? Protected by Baal. Do any of you know what Baal, who Baal was? What a horror. Like, Yahweh can't take care of you. Baal's going to take care of you, boy. Every time his name was mentioned, God is my judge. Baal's going to protect you, son. Your names are important. They're significant. Let me tell you about these other guys. Um, Hananiah changed his name to Shadrach. You know what the name Shadrach means? Servant of Aku. Aku was the Babylonian moon god. They say, well, I don't see the big deal. I have, you know, the Jews, I have, you know, the moon, <laughs> this big explosion, and it's perfectly the same, <laughs> never mind, the design. Do you know you can set your clock and your calendar by the moon? Never mind, you're not enjoying that either. I just, I, I, I mock at people thinking this just happened. How, how can you, the precision of it, you can count, but because of that, the summer, winter, spring, fall, solstices, you got a lunar 13 month calendar of Jews over here, and now you're going to dump that baby. We're coming over here, and a coup every so many days and then months, the moon would be in a certain solstice. You could, you could drive a stake in the line it's going to be. And they would set up horrible, pagan, sensual activities to worship the moon god during this time. And people would build up to it. was a horrible, horrible pagan thing. That was the Babylonian god. And they called Hananiah Shadrach Bakul after the moon god. What a change. They're going to do everything they can to take away their heritage and make them become like Babylon. How do you know, if you're, if you're thinking with me now, the world in which we live and the prince of this world, the god of this age, this world, Satan, would love nothing more than to take your Christian children and strip them of everything they had been given in God and make them just like the world. How do you know we're supposed to be in this world but not of it? Jesus said, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Love not the world, neither things are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away. But the word, but they that keep the word of God endure forever. Oh, stay here, son. Stay here, daughter. But the pull's going to be strong. I'll guarantee you they're going to try it through education. They're going to try it through religion. They're going to try it through changing your name, doing everything they can to pull you. This is what's happened to this Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their world has just radically changed. Is God able to sustain a relationship with people 
will keep their faith and trust in God, no matter what the world is doing. I think it is. I think it is. Easy? I don't think so. I think Paul said of poor Demas, who is literally, can't think of the word I'm looking for right now. A man that he, I had a wrong word coming, not coming here. He complimented, we'll use that word, it's not the word I was looking for. As a man who knew God and walked with God and served God and loved the Lord Jesus, to his last words in the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, about verse 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica, which was the metropolitan city of the, of the age. He got him. Having loved this present world. You think that can't happen to you? You think it can't happen to your children? It can happen. And can I tell you something? The whole world is waiting to us assimilate you into that or annihilate you. Meshach, Mishael. I'm not sure on this one, but I think it possibly meant servant of the altar. Servant of the altar. The Babylonians were into pagan sacrifices. How many of you know about Elijah and the prophets of Baal? How many of you love that account? Not story, that's an account. It happened. Okay. And holy Elijah, <clears throat> oh, I love this. I, I don't want to get into that. It's another whole message. But do you remember when he's kind of jabbing them because he's making sure they ain't throwing any sparks on that fire because their wood is dry and he's going to soak his. But he's making sure, he said, well, maybe your gods are using the bathroom right now or maybe your gods are, and he kind of pokes a few jabs at them and stuff. But he's watching every move they make. It says, as all it did was make them go into almost like a frenzy and it says they began to cut themselves. Cut themselves. That was part of their way of worship. I, I don't know, maybe it's been around for a long time. But in the last year, I have been made aware of young people that are cutting themselves. And when I, it's like the first time I heard about bulimia. I didn't know what bulimia was. I never heard about bulimia. Um, I was trying to pastor then, so this has been over 30 years ago. And this young girl we led to Christ said, I'm a bulimic. She said, Pastor, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay. And her husband came and said, she said, I'm a bulimic. And I, I try, I hate to have people say something that I don't know something about. So I'll fake it and look like I, oh, I understand that. I didn't have a clue what she was talking. I remember thinking, I hope it's not catching. You know, I <laughs> doesn't sound good. Okay. I didn't know what it was. And then she told me what it was. And I said, well, you stop that right now. Boy, that helped her a lot. You know, that didn't help her at all. And then now people are dealing with things that, is, that I, I'd never heard of that are doing things. And I go, why, why would you do that? I don't even like a paper cut. I mean, I'm not even that. And now I'm talking about Christians and their children. They're doing things. I go, I can tell you this, it's not after God. It may be after a culture. And in their culture, the Babylonian culture, that was the way they worshiped their gods. Man, oh man. It's so contrary to the ways of God that says, don't make cuttings upon yourself. Don't do that. And they're coming to a culture that's saying, that's the way to do this. Meshach. Abednego meant servant of Nebo. Nebo, Nebopalzar was the father of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a son by the name of 
Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar. I always, always start with there. It was like the pharaohs. It was this name that you tagged onto the front. Caesars. It was kind of a name you tagged onto the front. And um, it meant the god of intellect and of learning. Um, Paul said to Timothy that there are certain people that are ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We worship intellect, the mind. How many of you who know God by faith are, great, are glad that God is bigger than your ability to comprehend? He leaves the ability, but you because he's, he's going to demand of us what faith, not understanding faith. If you, if you think there's any understanding when God told Abraham to leave for the Chaldees and go to a land that he would show him, and he went not knowing where he went, that that's an intellect, you're wrong, that's faith. By faith, Abraham did those things. That's what God loves of us. Because he doesn't want us to reduce, us, reduce him down to our fallen capacity to comprehend him. I Do you ever have moments where you worship God and you are absolutely awestruck at his greatness? And why would he, when I consider the heavens, the works that I think, the moon and the stars, which I say, what is man that thou mind? Why do you even bother? But he bothered. Would you agree? Enough to send his son to die for us. And then I go, you are a great God. I, I, <laughs> oh boy, what a great God. Our universities are full of intellectuals that are hiding behind the supposed security of academia. Many of them are broken inside. They have no clue to the meaning and purpose of their life. But they have initial after initial after initial behind their name saying, I am wise wrong. Wisdom comes from God and from no other source. Would you agree with that? Wisdom comes from God. You may have intellect, but there's a difference between intellect and wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask it of God who giveth all men liberally and abradeth not. You get your wisdom from God. And he's being called Abednego. Oh, worship. You'll find meaning and purpose in learning. Yeah, if that's true, read the book of Ecclesiastes when the wisest man that ever did live, God gave him wisdom, and he just took God out of the picture and wrote that letter. And he said, the vanity of vanity, it's all vexation of spirit. This is insane. You take God out of the mix, and this is insane. If this is all there is to life, life is too short, death is too certain, there are too many injustices going. How do you know there's a day when God is going to make every injustice right? He is going to set the step. He's going to make it right. Man. Well, here these boys are. Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah have had their diet changed, their moral code changed, they've had their names changed. Um, they're just being, uh, just, it's just pouring out upon them to change them, to conform them to this new world order, the new world system. Okay, verse 8. But Daniel purchased in his heart, by the way, we are now to the message. You might have thought, boy, he's whining right now. <laughs> We're just getting there, okay? But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself the portion of the king's food nor the wine which he drank. By the way, the Jews drank wine. That wasn't an issue. It's just the wine that the Babylonians drank. It was a liqueur that was definitely different than the wine of the Hebrews. The portion of the king's food, nor the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. This is the message. This is something that is going to be a resource that will sustain him, that he will build upon throughout his entire life and ministry. This is very key. 
do you know that Daniel's somewhere between 14, 15, 16 years old? Most commentators will come to rest somewhere in that time period. He was born during the heydays of Josiah. The scriptures have been found, the last great Passover. I mean, you could, things couldn't be better in Israel when he was born. His whole world changed in a moment. Necho, Josiah's dead. They put in this Jehoahaz, he is a loser. Necho comes back because he's not respecting Syria. Things, his whole world changed. Nebuchadnezzar comes in the third year, slam dunks. Israel goes down, slam dunks. Egypt, you got the first world monarch. He will never hear the chauffeur again. His world has changed. His name has changed. Everything in his life has been turned upside down. But one thing, his God. His God. And he's a young boy. But he says, what am I going to do? Redeeming this time. I need to start becoming a man in the Jewish culture. When they're 13, 12, 13, 14 years old, they're having their bar mitzvahs, which are going to be, when I was a child, I thought I was a child, spoke as a child, understood as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. He's about ready to embrace that. <laughs> they may not love you for this, but I do, brother, okay? Because this is, well, I can go till 10 o'clock on that much water. <laughs> oh, boy, <laughs> I told you you'd be in trouble with that. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Titus, chapter 1. How many of you know the Bible is one book made up of 66, but it's really one book? Would you agree with that? We can go ahead and leave Daniel, jump right into Titus. Chapter 1 and about verse 15. <clears throat> We're going to focus on the word defile. It has exactly the same meaning. He purposed this in his heart, that he would not defile himself. He says, under the pure, all things are pure, but under those that are defiled is nothing pure. For even their mind and their conscience is defiled. Even their mind and their conscience is defiled. He didn't want to defile himself. He's about to do something in his request. Notice it does not say his demand. I saw a painting of Daniel and his three companions. And when, uh, is it Melzar, the prince of the eunuchs, comes to him and says, you got to take this food. And he goes like this. That's not what he did. He made a humble request. He's about to win a guy. You know what he's going to do? He's going to let him in on his walk with God. It's going to be, he's going to communicate. It's, it's rare. This is rare. This is so rare. When this happens, people can, they're tore up. They don't know how to respond. He's letting in on a relationship he has with God that he's willing to risk his neck for. In other words, from a heart to a heart. This, you want to know why much of our witnessing doesn't score? We a mind to a mind. We regurgitate information, clinical stuff. But when you're willing to risk your innermost being, and share that with someone and let them see you and your vulnerability and your, your genuine faith in an unknown, unseen God to them. It has a powerful effect. You're going to see that in a few minutes. And that's what Daniel's about to do as a young boy. He's about ready to do this. I wish I could say I have a lot of that in my track record where I've done that. To my shame, I don't. I like to witness to people at arm's length. He's dropping it. Because there's a cost if you let him in. How do you do that? There's a risk there. You're going to see it's a high risk. He's going to do it to him. And Melzar's just going to be blown away with this to the point he's willing to risk his neck for that boy's walk with God. And it's in his conscience. He purposed in his heart to not defile himself. And it is a matter of conscience. When the Apostle Paul sent Titus and Timothy to set things in order the churches of Asia, oh man, what a task. He sent them armed with two things, faith, and a good conscience. In fact, if we're right in Titus. Just turn, turn back a couple pages to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
verse 5, now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart. He purposed in his heart. And by the way, I've, I've wondered why Daniel chose a dietary law. How do you know that the Babylonians are probably not going to be honoring the Hebrew Sabbath? How do you know the Sabbath's in the Big Ten? Would you agree with that? The dietary laws, you get the New Testament in the issues, okay? <laughs> but over here, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't strap that one on. By the way, you may not think that's significant, your food. And that, that has a significant effect upon your whole life, the disciplines with regard to food. Remember when Paul, excuse me, Peter, uh, Joppa, Simon's house, and he's uh, going up to pray before the meal is served, and he has the visions of the sheets. How many of you are familiar with it? And the sheets came down. They're filled with all kinds of unclean animals. And the voice spoke and said, Take Peter, kill, and eat. And he said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever come to my lips. This was a big hitter for Peter. Peter's, how do you know Peter is? He's got his problems, but he's kind of a kingpin when it comes to the early church. Would you agree with that? I mean, he is definitely somebody God uses at Pentecost. I mean, the preaching that goes on with this man. But one of his issues, and Peter had some things that he probably should have had his act together a whole lot better. But this was one he did. He did that three times to Peter. And finally, God stopped saying anything. Ezekiel was another one. I mean, it was a food issue. It was a big deal to them. Ezekiel was supposed to bake his bread and use uh, human waste to cook it by. And he said, oh, God. Oh, God. By the way, he obeyed God impeccably with some of the weirdest things you could ever request. But that's the one thing he appealed to God and said, God, please don't make me do this. He said, okay, you can go and use cattle, dung, buffalo chips. And that was okay. He said, I can do that. It was a food issue. But it was something that was ingrained in them, deep in their conscience. Your conscience is your library of values. It's the thing that, go, that goes into your... Some of you will have issues of conscience over things that I won't, and I will over things you don't, because a lot of it is our upbringing. Come on, would you... How many of you know, if, if you were raised Amish and got saved, you're going to have issues in conscience to deal with that I ain't going to have to deal with. Would you agree? God just saves people out of all kinds of denominations, Jews, Gentiles, Protestants, you know, Catholics, you go down the whole list. And we'll always have things that go into making us up, some things that we just say, I can't do that. Remember, he says that he would not defy. He, most people put out what we're supposed to do. Well, there's certain things you have to say, I just can't do that. Certain things I can't do. Other people, others may, I cannot. How you follow that? You need to have some of those things. Everybody should have some of those things that go into them. And, it, and it's a you and God thing. It's something that in your walk, I would defile my conscience. It would become wrong for me to do this. Okay. And everybody has a conscience. How do you know everybody has a conscience? Believe Even atheists have a conscience. They don't even realize that's one of the messages from God to them. Well, why do you have a conscience? Why do you think certain things are right and certain things are wrong? Who made the rules? What are you using for a moral compass? Well, people, no, I don't think so. You keep tracking that down, you have to come to God. There's a God in heaven who designed these things. Remember, I will get back to this message eventually. John chapter 8, how many of you are familiar with John chapter 8? Woman caught in adultery in the very act. Oh, it tears me up. If he's caught in the act, where's the guy? They just bring the woman, remember this? This is a setup. Jesus smells it a mile away, he knows this. So they bring him, they throw it down his feet, say, the law of Moses says, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And the law of Moses says, Stoner, what do you say? And Jesus didn't say nothing for a little while. And then he, <laughs> he looked at him and said, Well, you were without guilt, cast the first stone. You know what it says? And they, being convicted in their consciences, departed from the eldest, the oldest person there, first of all, but, whoa, he, he just sucker punched me, I'm denied. You know why? Because all of them had a conscience. 
How do you know the Holy Spirit likes to speak? The Holy Spirit is not your conscience. There's a difference. The Holy Spirit speaks to your conscience. Do you know the devil also speaks to conscience? He makes people guilty over things that they're not guilty of. Because he loves guilt. Would you, how do you know that God loves, there is therefore not no condemnation? How do you know he loves forgiveness and mercy and grace and those kind of things? You see, you need to learn to discern, to test the prophets. Test, a lot of false spirits that are speaking. And they'll speak to your conscience. That's why I need to know, okay, God, is this from you or isn't it from you? I need to know you. You have some things in your conscience. So everybody has this conscience. He says, now at the end of the commandment is love. He said, I want you to go. I'm going to arm you with this out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. Turn the page and we'll go over just in that same chapter about verse 19. He says, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made a shipwreck out of their life. They didn't put away their faith. They had their theology nailed down. It was their conscience that compromised their theology. That begin to make concessions with, ah, and we begin to rationalize, wait, wait, it ain't a big deal, and nobody's going to know, and all the things we do to conscience to violate it. He said they didn't put away their faith, they put away their conscience concerning their faith. Let me read another verse for you. Verse 9 of chapter 3. Holding the mystery of, the, of faith in a pure conscience. Look over in chapter 4 and verse... This is Paul. How you're getting it? He's making a point here. You start seeing conscience show up in his pastoral letter to these young guys that are going out to medicine. He's saying, make sure your conscience is right. Paul went on to say this. In this do I exercise myself continually to always have a conscience void of offense before God and man. He exercised his conscience. Because if you don't exercise and keep your conscience clean when God speaks to your conscience about something you should or should not do, you shouldn't do this. Or you should do this. And if you begin to compromise with it, here's what happens. Verse 4, chapter 4, now the Spirit speaks expressly. Then in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Well, you can't depart from something you were never at. I'm here, you can't leave Carol till you've been to Carol. So he's not talking about people who never had faith. But some depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Watch this next part now. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared the hot iron. Your conscience, if you violate it long enough, it loses its sensitivity. If you could talk to a drunkard sometime and say, can you remember what it was like when you had your first drink? There was some measure of, because he's been told you shouldn't do that until you get to a certain age. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't do it at all. Shouldn't do it when I'm young. Shouldn't do it more. If they'd ever known where it was going to take them because they compromised so little here, but the compromise became easier and easier until finally, what do you want to Or whatever it be, whatever it be. We use those because we're in church and we kind of think those are the cardinal sins. We, we compromise with our conscience in a lot of things. And it's dangerous. Daniel's determined not to do it in this area. And God is going to show up. He determined he would not do that. Um, 20, 25 years ago. How many of you are old enough now when you say, oh, 20 years ago, and really it was 25, okay? It's that quick. I don't know how long ago it was. It was a long time ago. Being Protestant, okay, no Catholic background, but nonetheless, the Pope was speaking on the radio. And I thought, well, I was, I was listening to this. And he was speaking to 20,000 young people in Denver, Colorado. 
And he made this statement, and as soon as he did, I wrote it down, because it's so good, so true. And here's what he said. He's talking to these young people, probably most of them Catholic, and he says, your conscience is the last sanctuary where you can honor God. Think about that. It's the last sanctuary where you can honor God. And then he says this command. He uses the word with folks. He says, don't defile your conscience with the worldly morality of your day. Amen. How many of you know 20 years ago if America would just adhere to that, we'd be in better shape today than we are right now? Because we have come, we've defiled our consciences to the point now that people don't even know what gender they are. How many of you know I can get in trouble talking like this? There was a day everyone said, well, of course, you know, but now, how do you know that didn't happen overnight? Would you agree with that? This has been going on, this change of things, and we've compromised our conscience. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's okay with you. We compromise it away and make concessions. And... Where we're at today did not happen in the heart. It's been going on a long time. And it's not being drawn closer to God, but it's been being drawn closer to Babylon. Indoctrination is taking place in our world. He appealed to him. When he appealed to him, he saw into Daniel's heart. He'd never seen anything like He knew it wasn't in his own life. He didn't have anything like this in his own life. No, no gods. I don't care which god the, he had in the Babylonian you know, repertoire of gods. None. He'd say, Daniel appealed to him and said, Belzar, is there some way that I can still be who you want me to be and still be who my God wants me to be and not defile my walk with God in this area of the world? And I'm, I'm willing to learn your language. You can change my name. But this is an area that's between God and I. Would you somehow see if I, I can just avoid defiling myself? And Melzar's just blown away. From the heart of this young boy to the heart of this prince of the eunuchs, he sees something and he says, I wish I had that. I wish I had something with some God. I even know God has placed the eternity in the heart of every man. I don't care your ethnic background. I don't care your gender, anything. God has placed in the heart of those whom he's made eternity for man to know his maker. He's seen it in that boy and saying, I wish I had that in me. I wish I had that. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Last fall, I was speaking in Cleveland in a church. I was doing the messages on Noah. The last time I preached the series of messages on Noah. And I don't know why, but I threw in this five minute. How do you know when I'm preaching a sermon up here? I usually have about four of them going on. <laughs> ricocheting off here in the rabbit trails I'm thinking at the end of the service I don't, why, do you, why do I write these notes I never follow them okay? They're just <laughs> so I had this five minute blurb in the message on booze how do you know Noah had a regret you know what it was over he got drunk got naked and cursed his son this is after the flood this is, <laughs> this is a man who had been walking with God how do you know all of us are one bad choice away from making a mess I mean, it's in the book. How you know? How you're glad that God does include, include the warts and pimples on His saints? Would you agree with that? Because when they show up on me, I say, "Well, this ain't nothing new. Same God. Get up again. Get after Him." Well, I just included this little 
I have a whole booze sermon on my webpage. I don't know what it's under. It's just entitled booze sermon or something. 11 years of police work. Can I tell you something? 90% of my job was babysitting drunks. You'd be, you just took drugs out. When I say drunks, the Greek word for don't be drunk with wine. I can preach against drunkenness. That is a command. Can I tell you something? Drunkenness is a sin. It is. It's a flat out a sin. How do you know you can have a beer and not be drunk? I preach abstinence, not by command. I just can't find the command. But I got a principle. How do you know the kingdom of Babylon falls in a drunken party? I mean, I can't find anything good in this book. The drunk. I'm glad you're sitting down. This is going to rock your world. This is really deep. Do you know how to avoid ever becoming drunk? Ta-da! This ain't rocket science. You see, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. Amen. All things are lawful, but all things profit. No, they don't benefit me. This is one of them don't benefit. Can I tell you something? If I was a drinker, I would be a drunk. I got too many drunks in my room. I got drunken uncles and drunken cousins. I mean, I have an uncle, I have a cousin who'll sleep on the city streets of Lansing tonight in an old rotten overcoat and a paper bag and a cheap bottle of wine. He has his master's in education. He's a drunkard. And he grew up in a Baptist deacon's home. Oh, no, it can't happen. Well, yes, it can. I mean, I, 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 my favorite uncle was a drunk for years. Now he's not a drunk. He's, uh, the word drunkenness means this. The Greek word is intoxical. We get the English word intoxicant. Intoxicant is any agent when ingested significantly alters behavior. I don't care if you smoke it, shoot it, snort it, drink it. If it gets in and affects your behavior, it's an intoxicant. Don't be drunk. That's what the Bible just teaches. Well, if that's the case, elders, can I tell you something? It's clear to me. If you're going to be in church leadership as an elder, no wine. It's clear. A deacon's a little. Well, I vote for deacon, you know. Come on. Aren't you glad you came for this deep theology then? I want to give you an illustration. Please help me. You got this five-minute insert into a message on drunkenness. And I can't remember what I said. You just go, you better not have to drink. Something, maybe something similar to what I just said. And I went on to finish the sermon on that. And a guy came with me afterwards, and he introduced himself. Now, I had shook hands with him a number of times because he had these two fingers cut off right there and this thumb cut off the first knuckle. He worked in the steel mills in Cleveland. And... Uh, he had that hand. Every time he shook hands with him, you could feel the difference. They were strong. He had a working man's hands. And he had the most beautiful, gray, wavy hair. I mean, just, if I had hair like him, I would be an evangelist. I go, whoa, no, this is beautiful. I wish I did have white hair because my wife's got that beautiful white hair. I just, aren't you, I'm sorry. We'll, I'll let you out in a minute. And he says, I'm 84 years old. You could have knocked me over the feather because he didn't look more 84 straight, stout. He said, I'm a Korean war vet. I just dated him. And he said, I've never drank a drop of alcohol in my life, and I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going, antennas up, I want to hear this. He said, as a promise to my dying mother. Now, if he's 84, go back to his mother's age. How do you know you're knocking on the doors of the Billy Sunday, Sam Morris, the how do you know this nation actually voted as a nation prohibition at one time? There were pre- the pulpits were not silent in those days. Would you agree with me? Have you read your church history? America? I mean, so his mom grew up in that. His mother said to him, she was dying, and he was still in high school. She said, son, would you promise me? When I'm gone, she said, just promise me that you will never drink any beer, whiskey, wine, liquor of any kind. Just promise you. He loved his mother. He said, I'll never drink. No. Well, he graduated from high school. And he joined the service. And he said he went through his basics. Finally, they 
graduated from their basics. He's getting ready to go to Korea. And they all went into town. They gave him a little leave time. How do you know they didn't go to a church social? Somebody saved them. Come on, let's get real. They're going to the bar. Would you say amen to that? They're just going to the bar. He said, we all went in that bar. He said, I stepped in that bar, and my promise to my mother came to mind. Come on. And he stepped in there, and he said, I just kept on walking, went down to the end of the bar. All my buddies, you may, when you go through basic, you get tight with it, boys, because you've been through some hard things, too. You get tight. <laughs> beer, 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 beer. He got down there and he said, and I ordered a soda. That's what they call them, okay? Americans call it pop, but they, some people call them sodas, okay? He said, yeah, I ordered a soda. He said, almost you said, they all looked down the bar at him like this. I have a beer. No, he said, I don't drink. He can feel things tightening up. He said, the toughest guy in his outfit looked down and said, why? I promised my mother. No, he's not going to do that. How do you know you got to be macho right now? He went vertical and said, oh, God, help me. And he says, why? The toughest guy, the guy that you want to impress. And so he looked at him and said, well, he said, it was a promise to my dying mother that I wouldn't drink. And he said, in all good conscience, I can't break that promise to my mother. He said, you could, it seemed, seemed like everything in the bar got silent. And he said, it was all quiet. And the guys now are looking at the tough guy. He said, the tough guy come down and walked there next to me, put his arm on my shoulder and said to me, then don't you break that promise to your mother. He said, I never had to face that issue again. I always knew it was going to be a matter of conscience. I can't drink because of a promise. Can I tell you something? You can have a beer and still go to heaven. I know that's going to freak some of you out. He just still went to heaven. This man, he knew the Lord. He's young, fledgling in the service. You think about that time of his life. That sustained him throughout his life. He had something that he couldn't violate his conscience over because of a promise to his mother. You make a promise. It's a promise to God. He knew it. He said, now let me, let me quote this verse to you. Therefore Daniel purposed in his heart to not define himself the king's food, the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. He wouldn't define himself, his conscience. I, I know this isn't the take on many times he preached this area of Daniel's, but I think it was a matter of conscience for him. Why the food issues? He said, he could not define himself. Therefore, he requested he let him in on it. See why? It would defile me before my God. You whole world said, you, you brought your God with you. I've never seen anything like this. Watch. When this happened, now God brought Daniel into favor, grace, and compassion with the prince of the eunuchs that he was now willing to lay his own neck on the line. Can I tell you something? He's working for a king that all he has to snap his fingers and you're gone. I mean, execute. This man, God moved him to the place. He was willing to risk his own neck because he saw something he'd never seen in his whole Babylonian culture. Something a boy had with his walk with God. I wonder how many of us, if we were willing to risk our conscience, faith, stuff with God, the people, how many would be one? God would then move with favor and compassion. He said, that's exactly what happened to this guy that was the tough guy. He said, he became my ace guard. <laughs> he backed me up because this guy's got something he didn't have. God brought him favor. Ah, there's a little bit left, but we'll 
pick it up tomorrow. I've told myself I'm not going to preach more than an hour. You, how many of you people have been here when it's been the marathon? There's one an hour and 40 minutes and stuff. And I, know, I don't want to OD you. Sometimes I put my glasses on, people sitting there drooling. I'm, like, hmm. I'm having a good time, but people go, oh, no. I'll close with this. An undefiled conscience is a powerful resource in making us men and women. Don't defile your conscience. Exercise it. You got something that's been on your conscience for a while. Can I tell you something? It's just taken me a long time, but I've got my conscience clean. I've had some issues I've had to clean up. They've bothered me. They've hindered my walk. I had to make them right. And every time I have, to the glory of God, He has brought me into favor and compassion with the person. How even if you humble yourself, God's going to lift you up. If you lift yourself up, God's going to humble you. It's, it's, it's the difference between God's ways and our ways. And his ways are better than our ways. Hi, by the way, they're not easier than our ways, but they're better. Say amen to that. See, if you're looking for the easy way, don't follow Jesus. Say amen to that. Because there's a cross and there's all kinds of things that we have to strap on to walk with Jesus. Tomorrow we'll take a look at the message of the book of Daniel. We're going to cover a lot of ground. I shouldn't have told you that. It'll be a short sermon, okay? <laughs> we want to make it through chapter 2, verse 1, all the way through 45. Oh, no. <laughs> but I hope you'll come back. I really do. I'm going to have the gospel clear to my The message of the Bible, this is what it's about. Those two verses, 44 and verse 45 of Daniel 2. And uh, it's just powerful stuff. Well, let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Why don't you stand up so you'll be loosened up enough to walk? <clears throat> By the way, thank God for the pews you have. Would you agree? Them are padded and nice. They really are. This is luxury. Heavenly Father, uh, as we just cry out, we come to the throne of grace and ask for mercy that you might grant us grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know what all people might be hearing and dealing with with regard to this issue that Daniel so excellently portrayed to us and is recorded in Scripture by your Holy Spirit. For us today, it's learning that we can benefit from. Oh God, don't give us grace not to defile our conscience. Help us. I thought at the time it was so much easier to compromise. And it was. But in the long run, it didn't pay. Help us, dear God. Help us to become a people that have consciences that are clean in our faith with you. And God, if you hear this prayer and answer, even but a portion of it, within a portion among us, we'll be the better. We'll be better than we were when you came. And uh, thank you that your, your word is true in every generation. You have been, as Moses said, our Lord in every generation. Dismiss us with your grace. It's certainly your grace that brought us here tonight. We say that we love you and desire to love you more. We ask all these things now in the precious name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen.